Hello, and thank you for joining us for another Whitehead Moncton podcast. Um, today, we're going to be talking about family law, and more specifically, we are going to be unraveling some of the most common myths of the law surrounding marriage, divorce, financial remedy, and children matters. I'm Judith Harling Coward, a senior family solicitor working in the Canterbury office of Whitehead Moncton, and I'm here with um, one of our trainees. Hello, I'm Lawrence Bowles. I'm, yes, one of the trainee solicitors currently working in the family team. Uh, so if we uh, get started uh, into the podcast, then um, the, the sort of structure of it is that I'm going to I've got a number of statements here, Judith, and I'm going to, to read them out to you. And Judith, you're going to shed some light on the truth behind those statements. And hopefully by the end of the podcast, we, we will have cleared up some of the most widespread myths and misconceptions that exist among the general public when it comes to family law. Fantastic. OK, so if we start with the first statement, then. Uh, once we're divorced, our financial connections will automatically end. So this is a common misconception. Some claims as a spouse may end, such as claims for pensions and matrimonial home rights and inheritance rights. But unless the parties have remarried, then claims for other rights under the, uh, under the law and the Matrimonial Causes Act live on. And this includes claims for spousal maintenance, property and lump sum orders as some of the key orders that are considered and made upon financial separation. So it's really essential that if you're considering divorcing, that you attend to your financial separation and seek early advice on this at the time or as soon as possible, um, at the same time as you are considering your divorce, so that the terms of your financial agreement um, or your financial separation are bound up in a legal document called a financial order, final order or a consent order and lodged with the court. So your legal ties will actually end in conjunction with the terms of the order once approved by the court. Um, and the court would need, it would need to approve what is called a clean break order for all financial ties to actually end. Okay, thank you, Judith. That's very interesting. So one thing that I did pick up on that you were saying there was um, about um, consent orders. So what, what would you say the difference is between sort of a financial remedy order and a consent order? Okay, so a consent order is a, a document, a legal document, which contains the terms of agreement um, reached by the parties. And that contain a number of provisions that deals with kind of each and every asset or how the income is going to be uh, dealt with and treated. Um, and it is a consent order because it's been reached by consent. Whereas a final order would be an order made by the court if the spouses were unable to reach agreement and needed to involve the, 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 the court, needed the assistance of the court. A final order in a financial remedy matter would be at the end of the process, so the final hearing. Right. And that is when the, the, the judge makes the decision for the parties on how the assets should be split or divided and what should happen. Um, but most often, thankfully, um, because of the uh, it's very costly heading to court and it can involve, it can be quite stressful for, for um, divorcing spouses. We are able to help parties reach agreement and therefore once we've reached agreement we draft those terms that have been agreed into a consent order and that's right. filed with the okay. court. So I hope right. that helps. Yeah. Yes it does, yeah thank you. And you also said as well about the court would need to approve a, a clean break order and um, when you when you talk about clean break orders what are some of the, the most common provisions um, under that type of order that you might sort of expect to see? So a clean break order is when each party will go there separate 
um, independent financial uh, way, that means that they all claims end um, against the other at that point when the court has approved the order, okay. um, not when it's just been agreed. The court has to consider it, consider the terms and see whether it's fair in the circumstances right. and it can raise questions. So uh, things like spousal maintenance, child maintenance, if the earner owns above, uh, sorry, earns um, above a certain um, threshold of income, um, lump sums, uh, property decisions on what should happen to a property, whether it's transferred or sold, uh, or if there's an adjustment on a property, um, uh, measure orders, which is when um, one spouse will remain in the home, okay. usually for a period of time. That would not be a clean break order um, because that is dealt with after the order has been approved by the court. But some of the provisions in the order can take place for months or weeks or many years afterwards. Clean break order means at the point when the court has approved it, there are no more ties. Right. Brilliant. Thank you. So I suppose we should uh, move on to the second statement then, which is uh, we will inevitably have to go to court and battle it out. Judith, is this true or false? False, Lawrence. With regards to divorce, it's very rare to attend court these days, um, particularly with the new law that was brought in in April last year. Um, so it's now very much an administrative application, which the court can deal with online or um, on paper. There were um, a number of ways that you could divorce and it often required one spouse citing unreasonable behaviour or there might be a cross application on uh, for a petition for a divorce and that could end up in court. But okay. thankfully the new law has been brought in and this you, you're very, very unlikely to go to, to court to deal with the divorce. Um, with regards to financial separation, there are a number of approaches that you could take which do not involve the court as well. So you're not inevitably heading to court. Um, this could be by way of agreement between spouses. Um, it could be by mediation, which is a really cost-effective way, suitable when both parties are willing to try and reach agreement um, and are willing to compromise and also spouses who tr can trust each other when disclosing their financial uh, sorry their financial uh, position you could um, deal with this uh, through solicitors which is often the uh, the way um, spouses uh, tend to do this which would be either by reaching agreement which your solicitor can negotiate um, either with your spouse directly or with another um, solicitor uh, representing the spouse, which the agreement is then bound up into a consent order and we ask the court to approve that. Or you can first go through what is called a, a voluntary exchange of full and frank financial disclosure, um, which is dealt with uh, through solicitors as well. Um, and from that, then you would you can come to an agreement at that point or if you can't come to an agreement you can um, look at one of the other ways of trying to settle your finances you can make use of collaborative lawyers who work through the issues um, for the spouses um, together with their clients roundtable meetings um, there's a relatively new approach of working with one lawyer advising both parties um, you can use arbitration with the assistance of an arbitrator rather than the, the judge at court. Um, and usually you would have solicitor assistants and barristers for that arbitration. And that can be a lot quicker um, and less expensive um, it, in terms of the, uh, the process. And court is usually the final option. Uh, and there's a good reason for this. I've touched on it earlier, but the costs and the delays and stress of proceeding through the family court, it really mean that you should or divorcing spouses should give consideration to the other 
um, options that I've mentioned and a good solicitor will discuss these options with you. Um, and some of these options can be chosen along, along the way. Right. So you're not necessarily bound once you've chosen a particular way um, to stick with that. So even if you head to court, it means you, you can settle before a hearing or you can settle along the way once a hearing is ha uh, has taken place. Okay. Um, you can opt for mediation at some point if both parties agree to do that. Uh, you, you, you're not stuck with what you've opted for at the beginning and it may be sensible to reconsider your position along, along the way. Brilliant. Okay, thank you. So yeah, very uh, useful information there and quite clear that uh, there are lots of other routes other than just going you know straight to court Absolutely. that should be explored yeah. you know first um, so if we move on to the third statement then which is that assets are always shared equally on divorce so an, uh, a 50 50 equal split between so the starting point is an equal division um, of assets but this can be departed from in consideration of needs and in some cases where there is a surplus of money uh, which is not for most cases, but um, lifestyle can play a factor as well. So solicitors and the court would be considering um, the welfare of any minor child, um, the income and earning capacity and property each spouse has or is likely to have in the in future, uh, financial needs and obligations and responsibilities um, which each of the, the parties has um, or is likely to have in future, um, standard of living that has been enjoyed by the family during the marriage, um, the age of each marriage and the duration of the marriage, and any physical or mental disability of, of spouse. So health of the party can be taken into account and, and, and for the, uh, the children as well. Um, any contributions that either has made or is likely to make for the future welfare of the family. Mm -hmm. um, and that includes looking after the home or the, the, the children of the family as well. Um, conduct can be taken into consideration, but it, only if it's so bad that it would be unfair for the court to disregard it. So that's not, that doesn't, uh, it's not um, relevant for most cases. Right. Also, any value of any benefit that um, uh, the spouse would lose by virtue of being divorced, such as some of the pension claims as well. Okay. All right, brilliant, thank okay. you. So um, one, one statement that I think will probably sound all uh, too familiar um, for you as a solicitor, as I think you will agree that it's one which many clients tend to sort of ask, one of the, the sort of common misconceptions, um, which is if I leave the marital home, I give up my rights to it. What, what are your sort of thoughts in that regard? So with regard to financial separation, the family home would still form part of the matrimonial assets that um, are considered by solicitors and or, uh, or the court. Um, and that is the case even if the property is held in just one sole name of, of one of the, the, the parties. So the solicitor may advise you to remain in the family home um, whilst you're working through your position, um, uh, working out your financial separation right. and what's happening with your divorce. But if it's untenable, then you need to speak to your solicitor uh, to, to, to get early advice on this. Mm -hmm. um, it's also really important to consider the, the impact on the children, on any children of the family, when deciding to remain or to leave the family home. Um, but you uh, haven't given up your rights to it if you, if you, if you decide to leave. Um, and it will all be um, considered as part of the matrimonial pot. Right. Okay. And so, so I guess then off the back of that, uh, you know, uh, another sort of common question which, which you might find is, is often asked is, if I were to leave the home, uh, Judith, and my spouse were to change the locks, what would happen in that situation? 
Um, well, you are, you can, it's your home still. If your uh, name is on the uh, on the register, it, it's your uh, home, and you can re-enter that home. However, if there has been a, an occupation order or a non-molestation order, some kind of injunction that prohibits for you from returning, right. um, then that may be a bar to you, um, you know, kind of rocking up and re-entering, going back into the house. Um, okay. But you are entitled to re-enter. However, with a caveat to this, is that it's a very sensitive situation when uh, locks are changed and when people are divorcing and you should seek advice on how to approach this um, and communication is really important and key to trying to ensure that the circumstances such as this are kept as calm and um, uh, calm as possible and that any children of, of the family remain protected from any I guess difficulties between uh, the right. parents. Yeah. Brilliant, thank you. So a uh, few more statements then uh, to make. The next one I've got is uh, where children are involved. So moving on to sort of focusing on more on children now, um, the children will automatically live with the mother and the father will only have contact on, on very specific occasions. Is that sort of true or false? Um, this is a very outdated misconception again, um, but which we as lawyers, we still hear uh, right. often from divorcing parents. The children's best interests come first and a child arrangements order will involve consideration of how the, children, how the child's needs are, uh, are best met, which might mean residing with either of the parents right. um, and often under a shared care arrangement, if that what, is what is agreed, the child may live or spend time with both parents. Mm -hmm. um, it need not be equal. It's got to be in the best interests of the, the, the child and the, it's really important for, for parents to make sure that they um, don't forget that it's you know a day here or there or whether uh, whether you know it shouldn't be about counting days essentially right. or yeah. how many days the child is with each parent it's got to be suitable for the child okay. who may be being shipped around from home to home and feel quite unsettled um, so if you can't reach um, a sensible uh, agreement which is not always the case then if you do have to proceed and um, uh, to the court, um, you would need to attend uh, mediation unless exempt. But CAFCAS, um, an organisation appointed by the court in child proceedings, can give their guidance on where the child should live and what the arrangements should look like. Um, if you were proceeding through the court, then each parent will have an opportunity to explain their reasons um, for where the, why the ch child should live with them or what the arrangement should look like. And if the court is involved, then the court will have the final say. Um, so it's a really good reminder that it is worthwhile trying to agree sensible arrangements where each parent can input and try to shape those arrangements themselves right. um, yeah. before considering heading straight to court. Okay, thank you. And you know, that's really interesting. And I think, you know, you're right. It's, it's a case of sort of bearing in mind that it's not necessarily a tit for tat between, you know, who has them 10 days and who has them 11 days out no, of a holiday, but absolutely more sort of not. No. focusing on... And yeah, the child you know, won't often notice about that. It's, it's, the, it's, it's the parents thinking about it and, um, and it's not the, the, the child may not know. There just needs to be, you know, good, some sensible routines, some sensible arrangements yeah. in consideration of what's best for that Brilliant. specific child. Great. Thank you. So... Uh, Got a statement here then that says we have lived together for years and years as common law partners. Um, so we have the same rights and protections as a married couple when separating. Thoughts? Um, another false. <laughs> There's little protection 
uh, for unmarried partners and they're not protected under the law that provides this, the rights and protections for married couples um, right. where there is some good um, protection afforded to, to married parties. Um, unmarried cohabitants should seek early s advice from a solicitor. Okay. I think it's all about having that knowledge to then make decisions um, on what steps you need to take. So um, it's important to have that advice to discuss what should happen to property and assets if the relationship were to fall apart. So really, at the, you know, at the start of the relationship or the start of moving in, or if there's any you know, kind of property that um, you need to consider, mm -hmm. um, because a cohabitation agreement um, and or a declaration of trust may offer some protection in the absence of being married. Brilliant. Okay, so what, what, what about prenups then? So traditionally, we, we hear about uh, prenups in, in the paper, in the news, and they're typically, you know, for, for the rich and famous. Um, what's the current sort of legal position when it comes to prenups in this yeah. country? Yeah, so prenups here are still not binding in law as they are in some other countries. Um, but the court here looks to uphold them if the process in making the prenup has been dealt with properly. Um, and if making an order to uphold the prenup is fair in the circumstances. So the court retains the power to consider the financial position of the parties and make a different order based on needs or fairness and circumstances of the parties. Right. And I think that's quite unique about the, um, the, the courts here in, of England and Wales. Mm. Um, they are interested in making sure that a potentially vulnerable party, financially uh, vulnerable party is protected. If one party has more financial wealth or if a person is remarrying and has children from the first marriage um, where they might want to protect some money for the, for the children, um, it's particularly worth seeking advice on whether a prenuptial agreement could assist. Um, they're certainly not just for the rich and it's a, it may be a sensible step for people who are looking to get married to uh, take or explore. Okay, brilliant. Thank you very much then, Judith, on that. And uh, this sort of brings us to the last statement that I have on my uh, list here, which is, uh, whilst I appreciate it, it's, it's quite a broad statement, I think it sums up the uh, podcast quite nicely. So, uh, divorce is always expensive. So, there is, is there any advantage to getting divorced? So, the divorce itself is now actually relatively inexpensive. Um, I've mentioned the new law that came in in April 2022, and that can simply be the cost of a court fee, which currently is at uh, £593, um, right. if you're dealing with it yourself, um, which is possible to do because it is much more of an administrative process and there's no longer the need to meet the threshold to be able for the court to be able to approve that you should be able to divorce. So that part's inexpensive. Right. Um, it's really the financial element that can be expensive to deal with. Um, not always, um, but it can be because it can involve in, um, complex considerations or issues. Mm -hmm. And sometimes where there is one uh, party who's being particularly unreasonable, um, which can increase costs. But it's certainly worth attending to your financial separation as soon as possible at the same time as the divorce is being considered. I've touched on this, I think, earlier, but if it's left, then financial claims against the spouse can continue to remain live, yeah. um, even for many years after. So it's beneficial um, and better to try and reach an agreement so each spouse knows exactly where they are financially um, and can move on. In my experience as well, when there are children involved, settling the finances and the divorce often then helps parents to be able to focus on the children and co-parenting, which is really important for the children's well-being 
Um, so I would say um, very, uh, you know, as critical advice that don't just deal with the divorce. You need to be looking right. at the finances um, yeah. to in, or, in order to um, ensure there is a fair agreement and to protect yourself uh, financially um, going forward. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Judith, um, for, for joining me today with this podcast. And thank you, of course, to our listeners uh, for listening. Um, if you would like some assistance in relation to any family matters, whether that be divorce and finances, children matters or otherwise, you can contact us via our website, which is whitehead-moncton.co.uk. If you contact our switchboard at 01622 you can ask to speak to a member of the family team there. Or alternatively, you can contact Judith and I directly. My email address is lawrencebowles at wmlaw.uk and Judith, yours is? Judith Harling Coward at wmlaw.uk. Brilliant. Thanks Thank again you very for much. Listening.